Hey, how's it going, New Hope? Great to see you, at least through the camera. Thanks so much for uh, gathering together with us. We're so grateful. Uh, we wish we could be together in person, but this is what we have right now, and, and thanks for, for taking time. I don't know if you were following it, but the Powerball lottery was at 169 million, I think, yesterday. And then I checked today, and, and somebody won it. Maybe it's one of you guys. I don't think so, but somebody from Florida. It wasn't me. Uh, I've never, I don't think, bought a lottery ticket. Even a couple of years ago, I think it was at $1.6 I didn't even buy one then. But I can see the allure. You're, you're, you're oh, sorry. No, you're okay. Mm-hmm. Whoa, it is bright. Is that better? Yeah, that was better. Okay. okay. It's at half right now. That's my daughter. She takes it while I'm not. <laughs> Teenagers. Hey, how's it going, New Hope? Thanks so much for joining us for our online gathering. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors. We're grateful for the time that you're investing to be with us and, and worship with us. I don't know if you noticed, but yesterday, I think the Powerball lottery was at $169 million. I checked today and someone won it. Wasn't me, somebody from Florida named yet to be revealed. I've never bought a lottery ticket. I don't think that I can recollect. Maybe thought about it a few years ago when the Powerball lottery was at $1.6 billion. I can see the allure. You're scraping every day to make ends meet. You buy a ticket, your ticket, you get the right numbers, and then suddenly you got way more money than you ever knew uh, what to do with. We don't often hear the stories of what happens after someone wins the lottery, but I can tell you this, it doesn't usually go well. Jack Whitaker won $315 million, I think, back in 2002. Jack was uh, a successful businessman in his own right when he won the money, and the winnings totally destroyed his life. People started coming from every angle, wanting handouts. He didn't know what to do. He had a daughter and a granddaughter uh, in the ensuing years die of drug overdoses. He got robbed of a half a million dollars while sitting outside of a strip club. His entire life unraveled. Uh, four years after he won the lottery, he was bankrupt. He was quoted as saying, I wish I would have just torn up the ticket. And that story happens again and again and again. 70% of people who get a big windfall of cash totally go through the cash within four years and are left with nothing. Don McNay advises lottery winners, and he's written a book, Lessons from the Lottery, and he said the vast majority of time people get, they get a big sum of money. It's more of a, of a curse than a blessing. That would not be a surprise to the sages of Proverbs. They would be like, of course, we, we've told you that. It's in the wisdom literature of Scripture. We are in the fourth week of a series on Proverbs called How Not to Be a Fool. Proverbs and the books of wisdom literature in the Hebrew scriptures were written by men and women. We call them sages. 
they were wise men and women. They are men and women that want us to be wise. That Hebrew word is hokmah, and that means to live skillfully. The book of Proverbs is like walking into a room packed with wise people that have learned how to live life skillfully, and they're all there giving us advice on how we should live life skillfully. After a couple first, uh, first couple of weeks of laying the foundation of the book, we've been looking at specific topics that these sages talk about in Proverbs. We looked two weeks ago at the power of words. Last week, we looked at friendship. This week, we will look at the topic of money. I bet you could guess. Now, as soon as I say that, I'm sure your body's just getting tense and stressful. Whatever we talk about money, it seems like in our culture, especially like in the church context, there's a certain amount of stress. So just... Just breathe deeply. It's, it's totally going to be okay. I care uh, about the topic of money and talking about it and preaching about it, not because I like to do so. I actually don't, but I care about discipleship. And if we're going to follow Jesus and share his love, which is our mission, we'll have to talk about money. It's a key component of discipleship. 11 of Jesus' 39 parables uh, dealt with money. Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. There's 500 verses about prayer and faith in scripture. There's over 2,000 about money, 100 in the book of Proverbs alone. How we manage our money is a key component of discipleship. It's a key component to learning how to live wisely. The Israelites, the people who originally received the wisdom literature from the sages, they're just like us. And their hearts were driven for the good life, the life that's about more and more money and consumption and there's never enough the sages of scripture could care less about the good life. They even warn us against the good life. What the sages of scripture care about is that we discover the life that is good. And that's a distinct and important difference. The the good life is about how much we have. The life that is good is about the people we are and the people that we become. Now, some of you may be saying, as soon as I mention uh, a a, a sermon on how to manage our money wisely, you might be like, well, I can check out because I don't have any money. (laughs) That may may be true for for some of us. But let me give you just a little bit of, of perspective. And this isn't to shame or to guilt, just to give perspective. I think that it's helpful. If you make, if your household income is $38,000 a year, which really isn't a lot, that's below the median income in the United States, then you are in the top 1% of the world. I think most of us, uh, by comparison's sake, have been given a lot. Now, there's some of you in the pandemic and the economic downturn that really don't have hardly anything at all. You're really struggling. One, reach out to us in New Hope as your church. We want to be there. We want to help you. That's a genuine offer. But I'll say it like this learning what we're going to talk about today from the sages could help you maybe get out of that uh, state that you're in financially. And God cares just as much how we spend our pennies as he does our millions, if you, if you have millions. Now, I want you at home to do something, a kind of an exercise, a body exercise for where we're going to go in today's message. Take your fist and hold them like this and just clench them and hold them tight. Go ahead. Some of you aren't doing it. I know if you're alone, do it. Everybody do it. Come on. Grip them like this. This is the pursuit of the life that is good. This is what's coming from our broken hearts that we got to have more. We've got to hold on to it. We've got to grip it. We've got to clench it. No one can take it from us. The sages want us to get to this posture where we take what's been given and we freely offer it up. This is not the good life. This is the life that is good. 
And that's the life we want to explore today. This is where we want to get with what God has given us, that we're freely offering up. We're not gripping it and, and clinging to it. We're going to consider a number of different scriptures today from Proverbs as we bounce around. But one of our shaping scriptures that gives us context for this message comes from Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. And Jerry is going to read that for us. Take it away, Jerry. Don't, don't you love Jerry's voice? I always joke with Jerry that if I had his voice, my preaching would actually be really effective. You, you would listen to me. Jerry was giving us wisdom from one of the sages, and we actually have this sage's name, if you notice at the top of Proverbs 30. His name is Agor. We don't know anything about him, but he's one of the many sages. Agor and the other sages from Proverbs, they're always uh, kind of punching a hole uh, in, the, in the lies that we tell ourselves about um, about money and about uh, accumulating money. They're exposing those lies throughout the book of Proverbs. So I wanna talk about briefly three of those lies that, that they expose, and then what are some tips that they give us on, on, how, on how to manage our money wisely. So three lies. One is money is evil. That's a lie. That's simply not true if you, if you think that that, and that's not what scripture says. That's not what Agor said. Actually, if you, if you look and, and if, you're, if you're on our online platform, you can actually pull up that scripture. There, there's a, a Bible reading section, Proverbs 37 through 9. You'll see that twice Agor asked God not to make him poor. The sages understand, the writer of scripture, we're not, we're not meant to be poor and impoverished. God doesn't want that. The sages are clear that that's a harder life. So money's not evil. The most misquoted verse perhaps in all scriptures when Paul tells Timothy that um, money is evil. No, that's not what he says. He says the love of money is evil. And that's crucial. Money's not evil, but the love of money is because our hearts were created to love God and love others. So if they begin to love money as their central love, then that's a problem. That's evil. So why uh, do the writers of scripture, do the sages talk so much about money? I think it's an easy answer because money reflects our heart. It reflects the state of our heart. In the Watergate scandal, uh, Bob Woodward, the journalist who broke that story, broke it apparently by telling one of the key senators to follow the money. Maybe you've heard that in movie and in TV, follow the money. And that's essentially what Jesus says. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What do you care about? What do I care about? Well, show me your checkbook. This is a simple answer, that, that our heart follows our money. Jack, who won the $315 million earlier and his life spun out of control, he had this interesting quote as I was reading his story. Years later, as he looked back, he said, I don't like with the money and how I used it, what it did to my heart, what it did to my heart. The sages are concerned about our heart. That's why they're concerned about money, because our heart follows money. They say in Proverbs 4, 23, one of the key foundational verses of the book of Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So lie number one is money is evil. Lie number two is money will make us secure. We were created to find our security in God. And then our broken hearts try to find security in a lot of other things. One of the number one things we try to find security in is, is money. Agor, back to Agor, if you notice, he says this. He says, don't let me get rich or else, watch what he says, might disown you and say, who is my Lord? If we start to look to money for security, Agor saying, we forget who the Lord is. We forget who's meant to be our security. Here are some other verses that, that bear out the warning of trying to find uh, our security in money. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. 
Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. October 29th, 1929, it's called Black Tuesday. The market lost 12% of its value in one day, or $14 billion. Over the next uh, next stretch of days, the market lost $30 billion, and that led to what's known as the Great Depression. Winston Churchill was in town in New York on the day of Black Tuesday, and he woke up to a commotion in his hotel where a man learning of the stock market plunge had thrown himself off the 15th floor. That was one of a, of a slew of suicides in response uh, to the Great Depression. People that had put their heart and sunk their security in money. The, the sages say in Proverbs eleven twenty eight, those who trust in their riches will fall. I don't think they meant literally that way, but that's what will happen if we look to money for our security. Our security is, is meant to be in God. Lie number three is that we never have enough. And it's closely connected to lie number two. If we're looking to money for security, we'll simply never have enough. And this never enough mindset, the sages tell us, is like a grave or a land without water or fire. It's a thirst that burns within us for more. Researchers at Boston College gathered a bunch of people that made more than $2.5 million dollars um, they asked me if I'd be part of the study. I wasn't available. Uh, that's just a joke. And, and so they, they studied these people and they found an overwhelming amount of anxiety around, I bet you can guess it, around the idea they didn't have enough. And on average, they said that this group of, of multimillionaires said they needed at least a quarter more wealth to feel like they had enough. And we know that's a moving target. If they get there, it'll just be more and more and more and more. There's never enough if we try to look to money for our security. Paul tells young Timothy, young Pastor Timothy this in 1 Corinthians 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into, into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Uh, Paul says to, to look to money for security is a trap. Makes me think about that famous fable of uh, the jar with cookies in it and monkeys, if you've heard that. And as the fable goes, the monkeys get their arm in there and they grab the cookies, but then they can't get their fist out of the opening. Remember the image? Clenched. Clenched. We got to hold on to it. We, gotta, we can't let anybody take it. We gotta, that's the mentality in our broken hearts with regards to money. That's what the world is telling us. That's what our hearts are telling us. It's a trap. And the monkeys, they're miserable. And that, it's interesting that word miserable comes from the word miser, someone who's keeping all their stuff to themselves and not giving it away. This, this is a miser, and a miser is, is literally miserable. So the idea of, of never, having a, uh, never having enough is, is one of the key lies that the, that the writers of Proverbs try to expose. I struggle with this myself. Every time Apple comes out with a new version of the iPhone, I've got a great iPhone. It's a couple years old, but every time they roll it out and I see the present, I'm like, oh, I need that. I, I, I don't have enough. Or when I walk into Costco, our, our TV, we got a nice big flat screen TV. It's totally sufficient, but it's like five years old. And I walk in the TV section of Costco and I wander and I'm just like, oh, now there's like ultra, ultra, ultra HD with curved screens and 3D. And my wife just looks at me and says, no. And she just grabs me and pulls me out of there. 
when I'm feeling that never enough and I feel it all the time, I'm like this famous character. You may recognize this character, the, the cookie monster. And he's, he's the, the natural emblem of never enough. Jesus would call this the bigger barn syndrome. Jesus told that story of the rich man. Do you remember it? Who has a bunch of stuff, but he wants more and more and more. So Jesus says he builds bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger barns until he dies. And then do you remember? Do you remember what Jesus calls that man? He calls him a fool. He calls him a fool. Jesus was steeped in wisdom literature. Back to our passage. What does Agor say? Agor isn't caught up in this never enough. He, he wants none of that foolishness. That's a trap. Agor prays for just enough. And I don't know if you noticed the phrase that he used, but he's praying. He's like, God, give me just enough. Give me my daily bread. Does that sound familiar? Jesus pulled that phrase from Proverbs 30 when he crafted his prayer that's meant to teach us how to pray. God, every day, this is how we're supposed to pray. Give us our daily bread just enough. That's what Jesus, that's what God was trying to teach the, the, his, his people, the Hebrew people while they were in the desert as manna came every morning. If they tried to hoard it, it rotted. He was giving them just enough. He wanted them to look to him every day for security. My daughter Eden, uh, she's, she's a super generous individual. I'm learning from her all the time in that regard. And when she was small, uh, we started kind of giving her a little bit of allowance and teaching her some things about that. And she just always wanted to give it all away. And I remember having a conversation with her one time. I was like, honey, you can't give it all away. And I, I sounded like a terrible pastor. I'm like, this is horrible. I'm like, but you got to kind of keep some for yourself. And I kind of chuckled as I said that. And she's like, why? She's like, daddy, you'll take care of me. And I was like, oh, my goodness. That's profound. And that's kind of the heart of how the sages of scripture talk. We need to trust God that he'll provide for us and be done with this foolish trap of never enough. It's a lie. So back to, back to this. Do this again. Take your fist and grab it. This is, this is what the lies tell us. We got to find our security here. I need more. I need more. I'm never secure. And the sages of scripture are trying to pull our fingers apart and loosen them and say, just take a deep breath. Remember who God is. Remember that he provides you with daily bread and look to him and trust him. That's what they're trying to get, get in our minds and hearts uh, with, with money. Now, one of the, the key components of money that we don't often talk about is, is that, that all the money is God's money. That's what King David says numerous times. It's all God's. So anything we possess, it's not ours, it's God's. And so we, I like to think of ourselves as money managers, it's not ours. We don't own it, but God's given us stuff. And some of us have more stuff than others, but he's given it to us to manage and to steward. So here are, I kind of thought, money management tips. That might be a good way to frame it. What are some biblical money management tips from the, the sages? So here's tip number one. Uh, tip number one is to give first. You may know this verse and you may not have known that it came from Proverbs. So Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Before we spend uh, anything else, we're, we're meant to give, give back to God. Think of it like this, God doesn't want our leftovers. And so often in my life, I've given God the leftovers. I've spent everything that I wanted and take care of my needs. And then I, got, I give God kind of a little bit that's left over. The, the biblical principles, the sages are like, no, that's the wrong way of thinking about it. We want to give first to God. 
not giving God our leftovers. Now, in the, the Old Testament scriptures, there was really clearly laid out principles and even percentages of what they were to give. Part of me like almost likes that more than what we're under now. Uh, but we can go back and we can study those things. Briefly, they had three main ways they were asked to give back to God. One was to give to the priest, kind of the, the clergy, the ones leading them spiritually. That would be akin to when you give to church or when if, if New Hope's your church and, and you might give to us, that would be like that tithe. The second one was uh, money given to the poor. And the sages of Proverbs talk a ton about that. There's many Proverbs about if we have stuff to steward, if we have money, if God's given to us, we should always be giving it away to the poor, to those who are in need. So that was one of the, the, the ways that God's people were asked to give. And then the third one is, my, is kind of my favorite, and that's the party, the party tithe. And tithe just means 10%, and it's just a way of talking about giving a percentage of, of our wealth. And God always had them set aside a percentage of their wealth to have a party that included everyone. Everybody could come to celebrate who God was. Now, part of us is like, well, well, well why, why, is God, why is God asking us to give? And, and is God needy that way? No, God's not needy. Remember the principle, God owns everything. He's not needy. So why would he do this? Because follow the money. What, what we spend our money on gathers our heart. Our heart follows it. God wants our hearts pinned to him because he knows he's the only one that can set us straight and, and give us the security and give us the stuff that we are created to need. So by giving first to him, we set our hearts straight. So you add up all the things in the Old Testament the Israelites were supposed to give, it was 22.9% of their wealth. That's super convicting, so let's just move on from that. So the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. So what principles, we're not under that, we're not under Old Testament law, what principles can we, we glean from that? The New Testament uh, context for giving is pretty simple. There's not a set amount. It's give generously and give cheerfully. Don't be a grumpy giver. <laughs> like Give like, yeah, I love this, and give generously. Give more than you think you should and, and see kind of what happens to your heart. So there's no, there's no set amount, but I think we can look at the guidelines from the Old Testament and see it as benchmarks, like we have benchmarks for tipping in a restaurant or whatever. I think we can pull principles uh, from that. So um, what does this look like for the Rosensteel family? I'm always hesitant to share these things because like, I don't like talking about them, but I also want you to know that we're in the game and, and I'm trying to live out what I'm teaching you. So the Rosensteel family, we endeavor to give 10% of our income uh, back to God. The majority of that uh, goes to New Hope. And then we kind of do the second tithe towards the vulnerable and the poor, and we choose to support Clackamas Service Center, one of New Hope's partners that works with the Unhoused and Open Arms International, uh, the community uh, that was launched out of New Hope to care for, for orphans in, in Kenya. And then we set aside a little bit for a party tithe, which is awesome. Like we like to treat people and we like to have people over and host when it's not pandemic. So that's kind of how the Rosensteel family does it. Um, what, it what does this mean for you? Man, everybody's at a different place. And I don't, the last thing I want is, is, is shame here. I want to invite you in to something awesome, not shame. So if you're starting to feel shame, maybe just stop listening. That's not the point of it. But what might this look like for you? Maybe you never grew up with giving. You never even thought about this. You didn't even know about it. Well, just start. Just pray about it. Start to say, God, all this stuff's yours. What do you want me to do with it? That's a great place to start. How do you want me to begin to go from this to this? Maybe if New Hope is your church and you've never given, you can get in the game. Maybe you haven't given in a while and you, you want to get back in the game. And we invite you into that. 
not because we want something from you. We want something for you. And that's, we deeply mean that. And I'll just say this. If you don't trust that and you think I'm trying to get your money and get something, don't give to us. Give somewhere else. Seriously. We don't want that. We're really trying to invite you into to discipleship. But if this is your church, it's totally biblical to give to your church because we exist and we're able to go after a mission because of your generosity. And thank you for all of you who are faithfully giving, especially in such a tough time. We're, we're doing okay. We're, we're hanging in there because of your faithful giving. We're able to stay on course with our mission. A lot of you all the time are asking, how are we doing financially? It's it maybe hard to get that information during a pandemic. We're about, if you compare this season to last season, we're about 10% down on giving season to season. And a lot of that, I'm sure, is, is the economic downturn and the, and the pandemic. But certainly that 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 affects us to a degree. So um, maybe that's enough. You'd be like, okay, I need to get get back in the game and begin giving. But I hope your impetus is not necessarily that. That it's because you want to be generous and you want to go from this to this. Find an organization. Uh, check out Clackamas Service Center. Check out Open Arms International. Maybe there's another you like that that they serve the most vulnerable, and and give give freely to them, and give abundantly. I don't think that uh, you're gonna regret it. Think of going to someone's house for dinner and let's say it's pandemic, right? So you bring some takeout, you bring all the food to be as safe as possible. So you walk in with tons of boxes, you paid for it, you set it down and your host that, that are hosting you there, they begin to plate up everybody, but they only plate up themselves and they, they just give you an empty plate and it's awkward and you sit down and they eat and they just act like everything's normal. When near the end, uh, one of your hosts has a little bit left on their plate and they're like, okay, I think I'm done. And they scrape it on your plate and say, bon appetit. I mean, what would you say? That'd be such a bizarre story. But that's so similar to like when we give God leftovers. Like it's his, it's all his anyway. And when we give to him, such great things happen to our heart and our hearts are redirected to find security uh, in him. A, a mentor asked me a question years ago that's always stuck with me, and get ready because it's a super convicting question. He said, John, uh, how much of God's stuff do you want to keep for yourself? Woo, that's convicting, so let's move on. Uh, tip number two, give first is tip number one, money management tip. Tip number two from the sages, and we see this constantly, is make a plan. Make a plan. Sages are, are huge fans of plans. If you like that, uh, then the sages would appreciate that. Proverbs 21 5 says, 5 says, careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. I love this. Hurry and scurry puts you further behind. Uh, so they want us to plan. So uh, years ago when my wife and I were just about to celebrate our, our 21st wedding anniversary, when we were doing premarital with, with folks, they're like, have a budget, have a budget have a budget. And neither of us had ever kind of really done that to a great degree. So we like, all right, let's take their advice. I'm so, so glad that they gave us that advice. It's golden. And it saved us a lot, a lot of heartache financially to just have a budget. Again, some of you may have never done a budget or never thought about it or haven't been brought up in a home that had that I did a little bit of research. I heard good things about the You Need a Budget app, so you might want to check that out. Uh, also, Mint app and Pocket Guard are also popular. Um, I think the first one you have to pay a little bit, but there's a free trial and the other two are free. There's a ton of resources. Just Google best budget apps and you'll find something to, to help you. I want to give you just a really simple illustration from, uh, from our family. We've done this early on. I think somebody probably gave us this idea, or maybe it was my wife. She's really wise. And so we have these boxes with little drawers for both of our girls just to try to help them think through budgeting. 
and being good stewards. So I don't know if you can see that, but the top one says savings and then spending and then tithe or, or giving back to God. So really simple illustration. So let's just say $10. This is, this is what we have. These are 10 $1 bills. So here's, I think, kind of what the sages would advise. Here's just one idea. I think they would affirm this plan. The sages would say, of your $10, let's say this is what you live on. You take one of these and uh, you give back to God first. There we go. It's done. You don't think about it. God's given. This is all God's anyway. You want to remember where it comes from, giving back to God with joy and, and generosity and woo. And uh, my wife, again, my wife and I try to do that. We want, we'd love to give even more and more as we continue to grow in our faith. And then the sages would say, uh, give one here uh, to, to savings. There's all kind of verses in the Proverbs and advice on savings. The sages use the ant as an example, and they says the ant kind of saves up all summer when things are rolling and going well to make it through the winter. And there's numerous other verses about saving. Savings is just wise. We don't know what's coming, and we want to always be putting some money away. And then you're left with with eight dollars, and that's most of it. Awesome. And then you could you could you could do spending there, and you can you can live on that. And you know, for my girls, it'd be whatever they want to spend it on, and for us, it'd be, you know, room and board and food and, and those kind of things, hobbies. Now, let me slow down because I know that was super confusing math for everybody. So let me just review $10, <laughs> one to the Lord first, one to savings, eight to spending. It's just a, it's, it's a really simple model. I heard somebody say that years ago, and I'm like, that's, that's brilliant. When we don't have a budget and we just kind of spend on whatever we want for whatever we want, then we get into debt. We get into debt. And the sages would tell us debt's no good. This In, in our society, housing debt, more stuff like that, there's, there's okay kinds of debt. But generally, the sages would warn us away from that. The sages tell us that the borrower is a slave to the lender. I uh, that All this talk about uh, budgeting and debt made me think of this old Saturday Night Live commercial I think the sages pretty much would have written a commercial like this if they knew what that was. So go ahead and check out this commercial. Isn't, isn't that awesome? Don't, don't buy what you can't afford. And of course, Saturday Night Live does it in a very humorous way. But I think if the sages were watching, I think they'd laugh and nod their head. If we rolled the TV screen into that room of wise people, they'd be like, that's awesome. Yes, yes, yes. That's what we're trying to tell you. So Third money management tip. So um, give first, make a plan. And then kind of here is the core, the heart of what the sages want us to know. We get rich by giving more. We get rich by giving more. The sages says, give freely and become more wealthy, but be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. If we want to get rich, we'll give more. And the sages aren't talking about rich like in a material kind of way. They're talking heart rich. They're talking about the type of people we're supposed to become. What day we're on our, our deathbeds, we're not going to be adding up everything we have, our possessions. We don't take it with us. We'll be looking at who we are. Eugene Peterson translates those verses. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the greedy gets smaller and smaller. We, we get rich by giving more. It's a paradox, like jumbo shrimp or whatever. It, it's, it's two things that like, it doesn't seem like they fit together, but they're true. 
And, and, and it's right. Jesus would say it this way, and he did say it this way, it is more blessed to give than receive. The sages, the writers of scripture are redefining what it means to be rich. We think rich and we think we got the huge house or multiple houses and the boat and the huge stock portfolio. It's the good life. And the sages are like, no, that's not being rich. That, that will, ugh, it'll crush your heart. It'll crush your, it'll make your heart smaller. They want us to pursue the life that is good. The sages are telling there's things way more valuable than money. They say, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. Back to that same passage with Paul and Timothy. Paul's mentoring young pastor Timothy. He's trying to get him ready. So a little bit later in, in chapter six, Paul says this, focus on these words. It's such a wonderful passage. Absolutely, Paul's pulling from the sages here. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of, you ready for this? I love this phrase, the life that is truly life. That's the life that is good, the life that is truly life. It's this life. It's not this life. It's this life. It's the life that is truly life. It's the life that's good. That's what the sages want for our hearts. It made me think of, uh, of the, the, the famous Dr. Seuss story about the Grinch. I'm sure you probably know it. The Grinch living on top of Mount Crumpet and down below is Whoville and the Who's are such generous folks. And then he steals their Christmas because he's greedy and he's got a small heart and he's angry and all the stuff going on at him. And then they don't respond. They just continue being joyful and generous. And it transforms him. It changes him. And what are one of the last paragraphs? If you remember Dr. Seuss's verbiage, he says in that day when he, he encountered their generosity and his heart was changed, his heart grew three sizes that day. The sages would say, amen. Tom and Bree uh, and their family, I think there's a picture that will come up uh, live in L.A. County, live in one of the second poorest communities in L.A. County. It's a rough area. Lots of socioeconomic challenges, uh, even probably dangerous. Here's the deal. They don't have to live there. Tom makes well north of 200000 a year. Tom's uh, tech company they work for went public, and overnight, every single employee in the company became a multimillionaire. Tom said the next day, people, even the lowest level employees, were rolling in in brand new sports car, and Tom went driving in. He's in his Geo Metro three-cylinder, just barely making it. And you're like, why? Why? Because they had chosen to live differently. They had chosen to live, him and his wife and his family, below the median level, around $45,000 a year. Well, your logical question is, what did he do with all the rest of the money? They gave it away. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so convicting. And yet, when you see their story, when you listen to their story, and I've, I've seen them on video and I've read their story, they are full of abundant joy. They're doing Bible studies and reading clubs for the local kids. They're, they're continually having people in their home. There was one family with small children that were in a really unsafe environment, and they invited them in to live with them for a season of life and share resources with them to get back on their feet. Their young daughter, uh, Tom and Bree, uh, her name is Cadence. 
and just a young little girl, maybe seven or eight, and they, they interviewed Cadence and asked what she thought of, of having this family in, and Cadence nailed it. She said, it's hard, but if you give it time, your, your heart gets bigger and bigger so that you have room for other people <laughs> through the lips of children. Your heart gets bigger and bigger. The sages would say, amen. Here's a challenge this week uh, for myself and for all of you. I, I want you to take it seriously. I think the sages would want us to take it seriously. I just want this week for all of us to practice one act of unprovoked generosity. Just one. It can be super small. Just one act of unprovoked generosity. Maybe it's even anonymous. If you're out in a public space, buy somebody's coffee that's behind you in line. Buy the meal for the person across the way. Maybe you know someone struggling and you put some money in the mail to them just as a, as a way to help them. Maybe, maybe you give to your church for the very first time. Maybe one of these organizations that grabs your heart, you, you give there. Just one act. Just, just do something. Stretch out. Take, take a risk. Here's what I'll tell you. In my experience, you, you won't regret it. I've never heard these words from anybody in my life. I wish I hadn't been that generous. I regret giving that much. I regret being generous. I've never heard that. I've actually never met an unhappy, generous person. I don't think that you regret it. Just do it. Let's trust. Let's, let's fear the Lord. Let's take God seriously and see what happens. And I bet we'll taste what it's like to become a little richer. I bet our hearts will grow just a little bit larger. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for your goodness and grace. Thank you that we have a community of vulnerability, a community of trust, that our identity is in your son, Jesus. So we can come and we can talk about budgets and money and giving. And hopefully, God, I pray for this, that it wouldn't be cloaked in shame or guilt. We just put all that out, that we'd be looking forward to the type of people we want to become, that we'd take you seriously that this clenching of the fist that's our natural impulse to hold on to the stuff tight and just grip it for dear life is the way of death. It's foolishness that the way of the sages is to open our hands, to release everything that's already yours anyway, that you've freely given us, and to be generous, that, that getting rich means giving more. Help us, God. I need courage. My family needs courage. We all need courage. Uh, help us to step with audacity into this challenge next week and blow our socks off, God. Just amaze us with what you do uh, through these acts of generosity. For your glory, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.